Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, hello, welcome. How are you doing today? I hope this finds you well. It finds me well. I'm well. Let's all be well together. Yay. Okay, now I just sound like one of those goofy, like, wellness podcast hosts, and we all know that I am not that. <laughs> anyway, y'all, welcome to Rossafari Zoo News, your Thursday look at the news in the world of zoos and conservations. As I mentioned, my name is John, John Rossi. I mention that because lately I've had a bunch of people reach out to me claiming that they listened to every episode of the podcast, and they start off by saying, Hi, Ross, how are you? Now, don't get me wrong. I get it. The name Rossafari is a little confusing. Okay, I get it. Uh, maybe not the best branding. Maybe it should have been John Safari. I don't know. But what I do know is that, you know, if you reach out and you say, hey, Ross, and you don't say that you've listened to the podcast, cool. We can be friends. It's an easy fix. But man, don't tell me you've listened to every episode of the podcast and you think the name is Ross. It's not. You know it's not if you've listened. I actually had one person reach out and say, Hey, Ross, I love your podcast and have listened to every episode. Quick question before I tell you why I'm writing. What's your favorite animal? I mean, come on. Although I do have to say, if I'm being completely honest, it makes me wonder if I should have named my son Ross Rossi instead of Miles. I mean, Ross Rossi really rolls off the tongue and totally sounds like some superhero's, uh, you know, secret identity. Screw it. From now on, I'm only responding to emails that get sent to me under the name Ross. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I will remind you that emails and tagging are an important part of Zoo News. You can email me articles that you find at rossafaripod at gmail.com or tag me at rossafari on Instagram and Facebook in any articles that you think might be worth making the show. I'll even thank you in the credits if you do it. But hey, you're not here to listen to me ramble on about my name and the weird emails I get sometimes. You're here to learn about news. So, without further ado, it's time for... One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. Or a binturong. It's zoo news, yeah. All right, so we're going to start off this week with some sad news, but it's clearly the biggest news out of the zoo world, um, which is the loss of 12 residents of Stingray Bay at Zoo Tampa at Lowry Park. This is a pretty crazy story because about an hour before the rays were all found dead, uh, their keepers checked in on them and, and fed them and such, and they were fine and moving around and doing ray things. And then just an hour later, the vet team was called because of the rays not moving, and they showed up to find 12 already dead rays, the entire population of Stingray Bay, gone in less than an hour. Now, Stingray Bay is a closed system, 
And the water has been tested, and early testing showed that there doesn't appear to be anything wrong, so this is a very confusing situation. The vet team has taken samples and plan on doing necropsies on all 12 of the stingrays, but it can take several weeks for the test results to come back for all of that. At this time, no one is really sure what happened, but given that the touch tank was open to the public and public was there, they have not even been able to rule out foul play yet. I'll be very curious to see what the necropsies end up showing, and uh, hopefully some pathology samples will lead to answers. I will say this, though. I don't doubt for one second that Zoo Tampa was doing everything correctly because everyone there is a true consummate professional. And I send all my love and good thoughts to the staff at Zoo Tampa who are amazing and do not deserve to have had something like this happen. I'll be sure to keep you all updated on whether or not there is any more information about this story down the road. And while we are in sad news mode, the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens this week announced that their beloved cheetah, Bravo, was humanely euthanized. This came after a sudden and very rapid decline in his health. Bravo, along with his brother Chance, had just turned 17 and at that incredibly old age was believed to be one of the oldest cheetahs in the entire world. So, even though this is a sad tale, and even though I will miss seeing Bravo on exhibit because he was adorable and had the loudest purr, it's also actually a success story. Cheetahs don't really live to 17 very often, and it really is an amazing tale that the Cincinnati Zoo was able to have not one, but two cheetah brothers reach this incredibly old age. So, of course, I send my condolences to everyone at Cincinnati, but I also have to send a lot of love and props for having not one, but two cheetah brothers reach that amazing age for a cheetah. Nice work, y'all. Nice work. And now we turn from the sad to the absurd in the way that seems to be popping up on this podcast every week. The Shalom Wildlife Zoo in West Bend, Wisconsin, has banned a woman who was videotaped petting a bobcat. Spoiler alert, friends. Petting a bobcat is a bad idea, and not just because you can get banned from a zoo. I do want to point out that the Shalom Wildlife Zoo has decided to not press charges and instead has issued a lifetime ban from the zoo to this woman, which honestly I find very disappointing. In light of all of these stories happening all around the country, people need to be held responsible. They need to be charged with trespassing or endangerment or all those kinds of things. I'm not an overly litigious person, but um, this behavior needs to be curbed because it's absolutely out of control this year, and, and it's, it's really frustrating. In response to the ban, the woman online stated that she was just, quote, loving big baby, quote, and said that she has, quote, met with that kitty on other occasions, end quote. Uh, no? I don't know if she means that she has done official behind-the-scenes stuff or gotten to do some of the cool stuff like I get to do or what, but a friendly reminder to everyone, even if you get to have cool experiences with animals, it does not mean you get to go back in on your own and pet them. At least that's what security at many zoos have told me after they've caught me climbing in the enclosures. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm obviously kidding. 
And speaking of absurd things, a Japanese zoo escape drill video from 2019 has gone viral again. This is not the first time the video has gone viral, but it has continued to do so periodically, and it's uh, kind of funny. I'll, I'll give it that. The zoo in question is practicing for the potential escape of a lion, and they are doing this by having a staff member dressed up in a very cartoony lion costume. The video shows them going through the drill, including acting out somebody getting hurt and other steps being taken to make sure that they would know exactly how to handle the situation. These drills, by the way, are very real and are not at all funny when they're happening. However, what makes this one funny is that the cameraman couldn't help but be a little bit cheeky. The final scenes take place in front of the actual lion habitat, and the cameraman keeps cutting away from the action to the three lionesses that are staring at what is happening, looking, frankly, very not impressed. Although, you know, let's be honest, they're lionesses. That's kind of what their faces always look like. But the whole thing, while actually a serious event, actually kind of looks like a bad outtake of a parody of The Office only taking place at a zoo. You can just Google Japanese zoo lion escape drill and find it and get yourself a good little laugh. Because, like, seriously, y'all, the lion, it kind of looks like a Care Bear. All right, so now we're going to head to Israel for an interesting story from the Ramat Gan Safari Park. Y'all may have heard that uh, Israel is being bombed right now, and uh, I'm not going to get into any of the politics of that, but there is one interesting animal story from there. Whenever air raid sirens go off, the zoo's herd of Asian elephants are seen circling their year-old male calf, who is named Pele. While circling to protect the young is not uncommon amongst elephants, the fact that they have learned that air raid sirens mean bad news and then do that behavior is pretty astounding to see. The good news is that the Gaza Strip, where most of the bombing is happening, is about 58 miles from the Ramat Gan Safari Park. And as such, the park isn't under terrible amounts of danger, although one black macaque was injured when a shard of a rocket fell into the park. The macaque has made a full recovery. Also, the vet staff has started taking on animals that have been injured by the bombing in other parts of Israel and are then brought there by the Israel Nature and Parks Authority. Whatever your views are on the situation in Israel right now, it's nice to know that a safari park there is doing their best for both their animals and wild animals that they can help. The last two stories I'm going to feature in Zoo News are both stories of zoos doing amazing conservation work, my favorite kind of stories. First of all, Zoo Tampa has had an incredible year in their efforts to help the wild Puerto Rican crested toad population stave off extinction. There are currently less than 3,000 adult Puerto Rican crested toads that live on the island, where they are an incredibly important part of the ecosystem. They eat a ton of pests, and as they get older, that even includes eating some of the scorpions that live on the island. In a building that Zoo Tampa has set aside just for this purpose, they breed these toads. Well, they breed the tadpoles anyway. The process takes multiple months and also requires very precise temperature control, a simulated indoor rainy season, 
playing recordings of mating calls, and sometimes even hormone injections into the adult frogs that they want to breed. If everything goes well, the eggs are laid, and 48 hours later, you have thousands and thousands of tadpoles. This year, Zootampa had so much success that they were actually able to ship 3,500 tadpoles from just one breeding pair back to Puerto Rico. Think about this, y'all. That is more than the current population of the adult toads on the island. Now, the tadpoles are released when they are young still, and that means that a lot of them aren't going to survive. It's a, it's a cruel, cruel world out there. But 3,500 new tadpoles just from Zoo Tampa alone going out into the wild to try to make the population grow over 3,000? Yes, please. That's incredible. And the best part? Zoo Tampa is just one of 18 facilities across the U.S. and Canada that are part of the Puerto Rican Crested Toad Conservancy. That's right, y'all. There are 18 facilities in Canada and the U.S., that have all been breeding these tadpoles, and they all release them at the same time. By releasing most of the tadpoles into managed ponds in Puerto Rico, they really give them the best chance for survival. With numbers like this, there is no doubt that the Puerto Rican crested toad will see its numbers rise dramatically over the next couple of years. And finally, for Zoo News, we spin it to the Memphis Zoo in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Customs agents stopped a shipment that was just declared as gifts and then referred it to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, who looked into the container only to discover baby formula cans lined with aluminum foil. They opened one, and inside was a white athletic sock. Ah, but inside that, a lightly duct-taped Mexican box turtle destined for the illegal pet trade in the United States. In total, the first time they did this, they were able to seize 20 turtles, and the second time, they did an additional 16. And then they tried again, this time with only six box turtles. But they got caught again. Since the turtles were discovered, they have been cared for by the Memphis Zoo. Unfortunately, two of the turtles died because of the strain of the smuggling. However, there has also been one viable egg laid, so that's kind of cool. I so love that the Memphis Zoo is taking care of these turtles who showed up incredibly dehydrated and underweight and just in horrible shape. Once their treatment is taken care of and they are all considered stable, they will be distributed to other AZA facilities to live out their lives healthily and happily. These turtles will go on to be incredible ambassadors teaching the public about the illicit nature of the illegal wildlife trade, which is absolutely disgusting and pisses me off so much. I seriously love box turtles so much that I had a hard time getting through this one, y'all. But I, again, just have to say how much I love the Memphis Zoo for their willingness to step in and give these turtles a better life. And now... Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh, yeah! So we're going to start this one off with a shout out to our friends at the Wild Animal Health Fund. And man, if you haven't checked out that episode yet, you really have to. It is awesome. The Wild Animal Health Fund recently shared a story about some research that they've helped fund into whooping cranes. Now, there are less than 400 whooping cranes in the wild right now. So the species is 
critically endangered. And, um, you know, there have been a lot of efforts undergone to try to help with their conservation. Safe habitats have been established and reintroduction efforts have been fairly successful uh, until you look at the numbers because there has been no population increase. And often when that is the case, that means that there is a medical issue. In this case, it was the parasite known as helminths, which we've actually talked about in Zoo News before. The Wild Animal Health Fund helped researchers develop a novel typing system for identifying helminths on a molecular level. By checking out over 300 fecal samples of different whooping cranes in their wildlife refuge in Texas, they were able to gain new valuable information about the parasite communities that are affecting the cranes. This also provided some baseline information that can then be used to explore helminth infection in cranes in other North American populations. Overall, the study was a great success and provides hope for the wild, captive, and reintroduced whooping cranes. Scientists can now use non-invasive techniques and molecular tools to identify helminths infections and hopefully rid the cranes of this issue. Yay, science! In rhino news, a biotech startup has managed to 3D print fake rhino horns that actually carry the same genetic fingerprint of an actual rhino horn. The company has plans to flood the Chinese rhino horn market at one-eighth of the price of the original, undercutting the price poachers can get and forcing them out eventually, which is awesome, in theory. However, the International Rhino Foundation and Save the Rhino International have both come out opposing this idea. Apparently, there are concerns that it would just accelerate the demand for real rhino horn and also give some sense of validity to the scientifically disproven traditional medicinal uses that many people desire rhino horn for. You also run into the problem that if it is truly unable to be determined whether a rhino horn is real or a fake genetically identical 3D printed version of a rhino horn, you can't actually bust poachers and prove that they have real rhino horns. They could just claim that they are the fake 3D printed ones. At the end of the day, it's a very cool idea, and there may even be some reasons to explore and use it down the road. But for right now, this isn't the hope for rhinos that many people were hoping it would be when this was first announced. You know, y'all, I'm beginning to think that it's going to take more than some cool memes on the internet to save the rhino population from extinction. Researchers at Yale University have confirmed that fern— the giant Galapagos tortoise discovered in 2019 that was thought to maybe be part of an extinct species is, in fact, part of an extinct species. Fern is currently the only known member of the Fernandina Island giant tortoise species, which was thought to have gone extinct 112 years ago. Fern has been moved to a tortoise breeding center on Santa Cruz Island, where several species of giant tortoises have been successfully bred back to stable population levels. However, Fern is currently the only known member of her species. As such, staff at the Galapagos National Park Directorate are planning a series of major expeditions to return to the island and search for additional tortoises of this species. The search will begin in September after the volcanic season calms down on the island. 
Fern is believed to be around 100 years old, so while uh, she's still got a couple years left in her, being a giant tortoise and all, there is definitely a sense of urgency as these teams go out and try to find her a mate to save the species. A clear message has been sent to pangolin poachers in South Africa. Your actions will not be tolerated anymore. Two poachers were arrested back in 2019 and have finally gone through the legal system and gotten to their sentencing. The first, Oratang Mekwe, is a South African citizen and was sentenced to 10 years direct imprisonment without the option of a fine or parole. The second, Jelus Rungano, is a Zimbabwean citizen and as such was sentenced to three months imprisonment and then deportation back to Zimbabwe. The 10-year sentence is the highest sentence ever imposed upon conviction of pangolin poaching in South Africa, and this was for only, only, only one pangolin. This is an indication that the government and the judicial system in South Africa are no longer going to tolerate pangolin poaching. And while the second sentence might seem a little bit lighter, being only three months, deportation is a big deal. All in all, this is a huge win in the effort to conserve pangolins. I love this next story. So, scientists from the Fundación Rewilding Argentina were out doing research into the river where they were planning on reintroducing two giant river otters in the hope of starting to repopulate the species which had gone extinct in Argentina. Then they started hearing noises that reminded them of the two giant river otters they were planning on sticking back into the water to breed. Sure enough, there was a wild giant river otter hanging out right in the area that they were looking in. It's hard to say for sure whether this is the very last of its kind living in the wild in Argentina right now or whether there are others that have just not been discovered, but this is great news for the effort to reintroduce the population, or I guess at this point to grow the population since there is one, even though it may literally just be one. Coco and Alondra, a mating pair from Denmark and Hungary, are currently in the country but are not yet released into the wild, though the hope is to release them and that they will mate and start to repopulate the river area where this new otter was found. There is also a third giant river otter that is in captivity in Argentina right now, Nene, who is quarantined and then is also expected to be released. Hopefully, these three otters, along with their one new friend, will be the basis of a starter population that will lead to the rewilding of giant river otters in Argentina. Oh, and a quick follow-up to this story that I just discovered as researching it. Turns out our lovely couple, Coco and Alondra, have actually given birth to three baby giant river otters. Are they still giant when they're baby? Yeah, I know they are. They are. These pups will also be released into the wild along with their parents when they are deemed old enough to have a good shot at surviving. And then there is the wild one and then the other one in captivity. So by my math, we're all the way up to seven giant river otters in Argentina already. And that's from what we thought was zero, but was really one just a couple weeks ago. I'd say things are going pretty well, pretty well so far. Yay, otters. And now a quick story from Red Panda Network. You know, I like them. One of the major threats facing red pandas today is deforestation. And a big part of that problem is the environmental consequences of traditional herding. 
In order to make enough money to actually live, herders often have to manage huge herds of livestock, and that means they have to move between multiple pastures and herding stations, which they rotate seasonally throughout the year. These herders clear-cut forest to create grazing land for their animals and also cut down trees to build their stations. And because they have to keep moving, they have to keep cutting down more parts of the forest that our red panda friends need to, you know, live and stuff. Red Panda Network has come up with an incredibly unique solution to this problem. Before I tell you the name of it, I need to tell you that the traditional herder hut in Nepal is known as a goth or a guth. It's pronounced both ways, depending on who you ask, but it's spelled like goth. So what I'm about to talk about is totally not people dressing like, you know, vampires and being all pasty skinned and wearing long trench coats even in the summer and that whole goth movement that that some people are into. But in fact, Red Panda Network is pushing for the notion of goth stay tourism. The idea is that visitors will be able to experience the rich and authentic culture and tradition of nomadic herders by being involved in milking livestock, making and tasting organic milk, butter, and cheese, and also getting to do things like ride horses, learn the language, and just experience what life is like when you are a mountain herder in Nepal. The basic idea here is that if herders are able to stay in one place and take part of this tourism, they won't move so much throughout the year and thus will participate in less deforestation. Red Panda Network, along with the support of their members and partners, were able to provide livestock herders with portable canvas tents and also improved cook stoves, which support the organizations and operations of Gothstay tourism and also help them have more sustainable livelihoods. They even went as far as to teach three-day training events to the herders who learned basic cooking and hospitality, safety, health and cleanliness, and Gothstay tourism management and marketing strategies. There was also a workshop held that taught forest conservation to these herders. I reached out to my buddy, amazing drummer, and former guest Terrence Fleming at Red Panda Network for a quote about this, and he said... This creative ecotourism initiative targets herder communities in Nepal who benefit from sustainable economic opportunities that incentivize wildlife conservation. And that is amazing. And was also really hard to say in one take, Terrence. That's a lot of big words, y'all. But all joking aside, I am yet again finding myself so proud to be part of Red Panda Network because I just love what they do so much. They just constantly come up with the most unique solutions to the problems facing red pandas in the wild. I am so proud of Red Panda Network. In other news, a melanistic jaguar has been born at the Big Cat Sanctuary in England. A melanistic jaguar is a jaguar that is black, although if you look closely at the fur, you can still see the standard rosettes that you expect to see on jaguars. Only about 10% of jaguars are born melanistic, and as such, it's a pretty cool birth. You can also go and vote for the name. I'm not sure how much longer you can vote for, but as of the time of this recording, you can totally go to thebigcatsanctuary.org and vote for the name. Choices are Inca. Inta, or Killari. 
The price is five pounds per vote, and you can vote as many times as you want, with 25% of the proceeds going to Jaguar Conservation in Costa Rica. A young male American alligator who used to call Louisiana home is now recovering from its trip to a beach in South Texas, a roughly 400-mile journey. No one is quite sure how this happened, but the Padre Island Turtle Patrol found the alligator laying there dehydrated and underweight in critical condition on this Texas beach. After officials checked the tail notch and tags on the gator, they were able to determine that the alligator had actually come from Louisiana. In fact, it had actually been released into the wild just six weeks before being found in Texas, in Louisiana, as part of a research project in the Vermilion Parish. Based on the amount of algae on the alligator's back, it is believed that the animal just kind of went into the Gulf of Mexico and floated all the way to Texas. Keep in mind, alligators are freshwater reptiles, and while they can tolerate salt water for a little bit, uh, this seems like a lot of salt water for a, an alligator to have dealt with. However, the good news is recovery is going fine and the alligator's condition has been upgraded from critical to good. I just hope that one day he's willing to share his story. Maybe I can get the alligator as a guest on the Rasafari podcast? Okay, probably not. Anyway, it's time for your animal holidays. But first, a quick story and thanks. Y'all, I've been having a hard time finding one concise place to find all of the animal holidays that I need to put onto this episode each week. So finally, I posted a story on my Instagram, at Safari asking if anyone knew of any cool sites. Immediately, a couple of people responded telling me that the best place to find animal holidays is not online, but on the Peppermint Narwhal Animal Holiday Calendar that they release every year. Now, I don't know if y'all know Peppermint Narwhal, but it is an amazing organization. They do all kinds of cool artwork, they have all kinds of stuff on Etsy that you can buy, and they just do so much neat stuff involving cool animals and great drawings, and I just, just check out Peppermint Narwhal. You will love them. Anyway, I went to their website and found out that they had no more 2021 animal holiday calendars. Sad John. So I wrote to them. And Becky at Peppermint Narwhal quickly responded and said, Hey, John, we don't sell the calendars this late in the year, though we will start selling the 2022 version in August, so y'all should keep your eyes out for that. But I do always set a couple aside, so let me send one to you free of charge. Just give me your address. How cool is that? She sent along not only a couple of stickers and the uh, calendar, but also a message wishing me continued luck with the podcast and also thanking me for my love of zoos and conservation. How cool is that? I already loved Peppermint Narwhal, but y'all, now it is a full-blown addiction. To Becky and everyone at Peppermint Narwhal, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And now, here are your animal holidays by Peppermint Narwhal. So, June is officially Zoo and Aquarium Month, our World Oceans Month, and Orca Month. June 4th is Hug Your Cat Day. June 5th is World Environment Day, and also Butterfly Education and Awareness Day. I assume that one's about being educated about butterflies and not actually trying to educate butterflies. Although I bet their schoolhouses would be tiny and adorable. 
It's also International Ungulate Awareness Day. Same joke as before, only not tiny and adorable. And then June 8th is World Oceans Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Rasafari Zoo News has come to an end. I want to say a quick word of thanks to the people who have submitted stories to me this week. That includes Kim Cooley, Marianne Rossi, and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Thank you all very much. And keep in mind that you, too, can submit stories to Rasafari Zoo News, and then you'll get to hear your name like right over there like I just did. So if you want to do that, you can tag me in stories at Ross Safari, send them to me on Instagram or Facebook, or email them to me at rossafaripod at gmail.com. And remember, y'all, the phrase newsy credits backward is Yaswin Steiderk. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.